The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. You know, I could preach out of the encyclopedia and you would know you'd already been at church. Amen? But I'm going to preach out of the Word of God today. And, uh, you know, I have adjusted that song, Andy. I say 10 trillion years at the end. And, uh, but thank you. Uh, for this, for uh, leading us uh, to the Lord. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, you know, this Sunday is what's called Palm Sunday, and we celebrate today with these children, the palm branches, when Jesus came into the uh, uh, city of Jerusalem. And uh, in a few months, I'm going to do the Palm Sunday walk. It's an incredible journey from the Mount of Olives down through the Garden of Gethsemane and that place where Jesus walked. And it was a great celebration moment, filled with great excitement, hosannas. But we've always got to remember uh, that at the end of that Palm Sunday walk was what we call the cross. It was Golgotha. And uh, he went to that place. And uh, so what we're going to do today is I'm trying by today's message to get us ready for Friday night. So glad that the church is doing this. Let me encourage you uh, to make Friday night as as important as Sunday morning in your life. Because the reality is that the resurrection is an incredible celebration. But it, it is a celebration that is void of meaning until we go to the cross. And you cannot really understand how incredible it is that Jesus rose from the dead until you experience the cross of Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt today out of God's word to point us to the cross. In fact, if if I was a singer, we would sing, I survey the wondrous cross, Andy. And I'm not a singer, so you'd be glad I didn't, okay? And the dogs would be howling out front, all right? And, uh, but what we're going to do today is we're going to survey the cross. And we're going to try and dig down into all the meaning that we can in uh, an hour and a half of sermon. Uh, <laughs> didn't Andy tell you? We're gonna, no, okay. Uh, yeah, this should have been the day, Bill, we brought lunch. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we're just going to dig down into this experience of the cross because I, I want you to have something to think about all week long as you prepare your life and your uh, heart for the Resurrection Sunday. So we're just going to take a few minutes to read the crucifixion story. Why don't you stand with me, if we could, and honor the Word of God. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Let's go visit the cross. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And on the third hour when they crucified him, uh, and the inscription of the charge against him was read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself. 
come down from this cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him uh, to one another. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from this cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, uh, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, and saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this and saw what had happened in this way, he breathed his last. And he said, truly, truly, this man is the son of God. You may be seated. The cross is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, as we look at that, I'm always reminded of several years ago, I was having lunch with a a pastor friend of mine, and the young lady who was our server came to our table, and she had a beautiful cross necklace on. And uh, uh, this guy's name was Herb, and Herb looked at her and said, gosh, that's a beautiful necklace. And she said, yes, it is. says, my mother gave it to me. And he said, wow, that, that is so wonderful. She must love you. He said, now, what does that stand for? And this young lady looked at us kind of mysteriously and said, what does it stand for? The truth of the matter is, it's just a beautiful piece of jewelry. <laughs> Can you imagine what an understatement that was? That the symbol, the cross, was declared just a, a, a simple a piece of jewelry. And yet, this cross around her neck is a lot more than a piece of jewelry. It is the central symbol of Christianity. We do not have a risen tomb here today. We, we have a cross. And the cross stands for us as a symbol of what we believe. In fact, your steeple has a cross. We put crosses in our churches. We put them around our necks. We adorn our homes with crosses and we do that. Why? Because it is a picture. It is a picture of what we believe. Yet I think very often we miss the meaning of what it is. We miss the application and, and, and forget that it is the symbol of our faith. It is where we get grace. It is a place where we, we identify our relationship with God. And what's unusual about it is Jesus died on a cross. He could have died another way. What if he had been hung? Would we have had a noose? What if he had had his head chopped off? Would we have had a guillotine? I don't think so. God, in his sovereignty, chose a cross. And yet, as we come to it and talk about it, and as we live it out maybe this week, it's really a very difficult subject to look at because when you think about how the world feels about this, they don't feel like we do. The Jews, it says in the book of Corinthians, that the Jews saw it as a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it was foolishness. One of the things that troubled the Jew, the Jewish world is that the Messiah would have died on a cross. They could never imagine this promised Messiah dying on a cross because a cross was an instrument of shame. 
If you died on a cross, you were someone that had died a very shameful death. It, it was something reserved for slaves. It was something for the worst of criminals. It was something they would use a, 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 in a way to exemplify the crime of the person. It really showed the person as to be one of the lowest dregs of their society. And so the Jews, it was a stumbling block. And, and have you ever tried to just explain to someone your faith and to talk about a cross? That they want to talk about God's presence and God's power, and yet you can't approach the gospel without going to a cross, and it causes many people sometimes to react. That, that is why the Greeks said it was foolishness. Why would they have said it was foolishness? Because the wise philosophers talked about learning and talked about someone's great intellectual ability. And yet we're going to say that the Son of God, the, the one who knew all, who is all, his death was on a cross. And so what makes it very difficult is that the world looks at this and they kind of wonder why we put so much stock in this experience called the cross. But it was also something very difficult because of the horrible nature of the death of someone who died on the cross. I don't know if you realize that, that when someone was nailed to a cross, now sometimes they just put ropes around their arms, etc. But the purpose was for them to suffocate. Because what they believed would happen is they would so be fatigued that they no longer could push up their diaphragm and breathe. And the person would literally suffocate right in front of everyone. It took oftentimes several days. That's why it was very merciful that Jesus died in about five or six hours. Because usually the person on the cross was there for days. And they would sometimes not know when they died and because they, they, they would watch and watch and not know if they'd really expired. That's why some would say that Jesus really didn't die because what would happen to them, they'd take people down from the cross and they'd get up and walk away because they thought they had suffocated and they really hadn't. They would sometimes leave the person up for days and allow vultures to come pick at their bodies to make sure that they were dead. And so when you talk about a cross, you're talking about something shameful, something the world looked at as foolish, something that was horrible in, 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 in what it meant to their society. And yet, for you and me, it is the central symbol of our faith. And I walk with Jesus Constantine in the year 313 said he had a dream and saw a flaming cross. And that's why he put it on his shields and did all the things. And at that moment's when it became the symbol of Christianity. And now for all of these hundreds of years, every time you would see a cross for a Christian, it would have incredible meaning. It would mean something very important to us. Yet the question is, well, what does it mean? In fact, if, if I were to ask you right now to just turn to the person next to you, just, let's just do this for a second. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and in one sentence, you can't have five conjunctions, okay? It can be and, 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 and. I want you to say to the person next to you what the cross means to you spiritually. Just turn to the person next to you and, and say something to them about what the cross means. Well, I hope this morning that some of you use the word power and some of you use the word grace and some of you use the word forgiveness 
And some of you use the word hope because it means every bit of that. And when I jokingly said we could take an hour and a half to be candid with you, this is a 10 sermon series if you really wanted to examine it all. But today I'm going to briefly make five statements about this cross. And I hope maybe you would write them down. And and, and as you would do that this week, contemplate what they mean. First of all, the cross, it speaks of the depth of our sin and our depravity. This cross, while we see Jesus on this cross, in reality, it speaks about us. We say in reality that mankind, we are sinners, and but we use that word kind of loosely, maybe to describe somebody with shortcomings, somebody that messes up every once in a while. But the Bible, when it uses the word sin, it uses several other words, the word rebellion and transgression and iniquity. It's really describing something awful in someone's life. The word sin in the Greek word that we use means missing the mark. It means that we fall short, as the Bible says, of the glory of God. The Bible says to us, all of us have done that. All of us today have been people who have fallen short of our relationship with God. And in reality, what this cross says to you and me is that we had a broken relationship with God and we couldn't overcome that broken relationship. Even the the Jewish traditions and all the stuff they put together to try and help people keep the law, they couldn't do it. They couldn't keep it in the completeness that would get them to heaven. In the same way, in the same way, This cross says to you and me, because of a condition in our soul called sin, we cannot get to heaven. When you witness to someone about their relationship with Christ and they talk about doing the best they can, everyone does the best they can. But the best we can do is still short of the glory of God. And what this says to me is since there is sin in my life, my relationship with God is broken. Not only is it broken spiritually, I'm dead. In the book of Romans, chapter number 6, verse 23, as 323 has said, we have all sinned. Verse chapter 6, 23 says, the wages of that sin is what? Injury? Pain? No, the wages of that sin is death. The wages of that sin is death. And so today, what the Bible says to you and me is why this cross means something to us is before we knew Jesus, we were absolutely dead spiritually. We were dead in our spirit. Yes, we were alive physically. We were alive mentally. But that part of us that communes with God, the Bible says to us, was absolutely dead. So that sin in our life that has caused this dilemma and brokenness with our relationship with God requires something for it to be reinstated. And what is it? It is a sacrifice. It is rooted in the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrificial system. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. And so what the cross means to you and me today is we are hopeless sinners without a relationship with God and we cannot get to God unless God does something for us. And so what God chose to do, because of the awfulness of our sin, he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. His death says to you and me, there is something dramatically wrong with us. That it took something as ugly and as shameful and as painful as the death of God's son for you and I to have a relationship with God. And so the cross begins by 
pointing a finger at me. When I look at the cross, there's no place of pride. There's no place of accomplishment. There's no place of doing something good. There's no sense of I'm better than somebody else. I can be better than everyone else. But I'm still a lost sinner. And the cross reminds me the depth of my lostness took this sacrifice. And so the first thing the cross means to us is the depth of our sin, but also This cross speaks to you and me about the depth of God's love for you and me. The depth of God's love for you and me. This cross cries out to us. There is a God in the heavens who sees the iniquity of our sins, who sees the brokenness of our lives, who sees the enmity we have with God. But God did not just cast us away. God desired a relationship with us. And that is why it says to us in John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That giving of his son is a picture to you and me of how dramatically God loves us. You need to understand that as Satan has many different purposes in this world and in our lives. You know what the number one purpose is? It's to make us doubt the love of God to make us think we're not worthy, to make us think we've done something that has caused God not to care about us anymore. But yet the cross is a shouting to the world, but more importantly, it is a shouting to you and me. You, me. We are loved by God. And the God of creation cares so much about our lives that he would send his son to experience this shameful, horrible death. And he did that, wow, out of not just duty, not just because it was required, but because he looks into your life and my life and says, I love you. Wow. Uh, Jesus said at one time in one of his statements, there's no greater love that you can have for any man that you would do what? That you would lay down your life for them. And he was speaking about the fact there's no greater love in this world than God's love for you and me. Why? He laid down his life for you and me. Why did he do that? Not only to cover the sacrifice of sin, but so every moment of every day, of every hour that we live, God would say, you can be sure I love you. When you look at the cross, it says it very well in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number five. It says it this way. More than that, we rejoice for if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by his son. Much more shall we be reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in our God through whom the Lord Jesus Christ has given us this experience of reconciliation. If you want to know what God feels about you, it is a desire for you and me to be reconciled to him. And that comes to us out of God's love for us. So the cross is God's love letter to you and me. It is God speaking to you and me how much he loves us. I'm reading right now a a, a double biography of of, uh, uh, John and Abigail Adams, uh, uh, second president of the United States. And one of the neat things about the relationship is they were sweethearts. 
in a day and time when men and women didn't talk publicly about love, they got their letters between one another as he would be in England and France negotiating treaties. And they, they, they marvel at the love letters, the affection that you find in those letters, sometimes very intimate details about their affection. And the title of the book are the love letters of John and Abigail Adams, how special it was that they loved each other. Well, guess what? God has written a love letter to you and me. And it's special. It speaks of great affection. It speaks of great hair and hope. Guess what it is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It speaks loudly of the love of God for us. But it also, this cross, now listen to this phrase. It speaks about a great transaction that took place when we came to know Jesus Christ. You say, Gary, what do you mean great transaction? Well, what do you mean? You know what a transaction is. It's when you give somebody something and they give you something back, okay? And so the Bible says to you and me that there's been a transaction that has happened. And that transaction, do I need that microphone? You know, Andy, when I see you moving around, I know I've got some need in my life. I need this microphone. Is that right? Okay, the guys up top are going, what did Andy just do? He just gave me a microphone. You haven't heard a thing. Well, 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 let's just start all over, okay? I've got time. I get paid by the hour. So, okay, here we go. Uh, Okay, this cross speaks of a great transaction that took place when we came to know Jesus as our Savior. What happened when you came to know Christ? My wife and I, on the way over this morning, she told me that at the age of nine, which is about 45 years ago, okay, at the age of nine, on Palm Sunday today, she came forward to confess her faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized on that day. And she talked about how she came to know Christ as her Savior. Can you remember that moment, that day, that hour, when Jesus Christ came to live in your life and he became your Savior and Lord? Well, you know, you think about that and and, and you think about the prayer that you prayed and you think of all the things that were the trappings. It could have been your parents. It could have been a revival. It could have been vacation Bible school. It could have been a friend of you speaking to you about your relationship with Christ. But at that moment that you came to know Jesus as your Savior, a great transaction happened at that moment. The Bible says to us, Jesus exchanged his righteousness with our unrighteousness. That when we confessed our sins and asked Jesus to come into our lives, it wasn't just a nice little religious ceremony. A spiritual transaction happened. That dead spirit in us came alive because we traded our deadness with his, for his aliveness. We, at that moment, that are sinners, we have iniquity, we have transgression, we have rebellion in our life. At that moment, all of that was given to Jesus. And Jesus gave us his righteousness. What is amazing today is when God looks at your life and looks at my life, in spite of the fact that I have sinned like crazy within my life, he doesn't see my sin anymore. He looks at my life and your life, if you know Christ, 
And he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, in fact, when you one of these days go to judgment before God, I believe they're going to show us all of our sin we've ever done. And God will look at us and say, that's not Gary. That's not this person. This person gave all of that to Jesus and he took it on the cross. And so today, all I see is the righteousness of my son. You traded the day you were saved your transgressions and unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. And it came to live within you. Listen to what it says in the Bible in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 24. He himself bore our sins on the body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The sin problem that we had, it was healed. Because in that moment, we, we took the righteousness of Christ and it came to be ours. Uh, listen to what it says in the book of Corinthians in the same kind of way. More than that, we rejoice through God our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us this ministry of reconciliation. But it says to us in verse number 21, he, we might have reigned through this, but uh, grace, I'm sorry, I'm over in the wrong spot here in my Bible. Sorry, guys. Uh, it takes me a moment to get around my Bible, and sometimes I try and mark it, but other times what happens to me is I lose my place. There it is. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, but he not only took our sin, he gave us his righteousness when we come to know Jesus. So today, when someone asks you, what does this cross around your neck mean? It means today I'm righteous before God, not because of anything I've done, but because of what was done on that cross. We exchanged our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Let let me maybe uh, illustrate it like this. Have any of you followed the trials of Alex Murdoch over in South Carolina? You know, it's all over the newspapers. This man who murdered his son and his wife, murdered them. Some believe he did it because he was trying to distract from the fact he was a great thief. Thrown, had stolen millions from his law firm. On that moment when he was convicted, the judge was getting ready to sentence him to two life imprisonments so he would never get out, no parole. And he's about to raise that gavel and pronounce him as someone who would go spend the rest of his life in prison. And everyone who's watching that says, yes, he deserves to spend the rest of his life in that prison cell. And everything related to prison, he deserves every bit of that. But what if that judge raised his gavel and someone stood up in the room and said, sir, I know that he is guilty. But I want you to know, so he can go free, I will go to prison for him. And I will take his punishment. You say, wow, who would do that? Who would do that? But guys, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. When the gavel should be raised to declare you and me dead spiritually, doomed to eternity in hell. He raises that gavel. Jesus stands up and says, I took that punishment. This person can go free. 
Because the punishment has been fulfilled right here. So the cross means to you and me this transaction that happened. Those of us who are bound by sin, doomed to hell, have been made free to walk in righteousness because of Jesus. Third statement, fourth statement. The cross speaks of the certainty that you and I can live with no condemnation. Now, wouldn't you like to live like that? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to live without condemnation? I'm not talking about not convicted of sin. And I'm not talking about the fact that when we do things wrong, we feel guilt and we should feel conviction. But even though we feel guilt and conviction, we are not condemned. What Satan would like to say is because Gary Smith did that, it has spoiled his relationship with God. He can no longer go to heaven. He can no longer be promised eternity. And God's going to punish him. He just better watch out because God's going to get him today. Because that's what happens when you sin. The devil's really good at bringing that kind of thought to us. But Romans 8, 1, for there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the translations, I write it in my devotion book. It says condemnation does not exist for those who know Jesus Christ. And if you and I feel condemnation, guess where it's coming from? It's not coming from heaven. It's coming from the pit of hell because he's the great accuser and he wants to accuse us and to make us feel guilty, make us feel wrong. And he does that so we would feel condemnation. But because of the cross, you and I can live every day with no condemnation. Last thing and I'll conclude. The cross speaks to us about the pathway to true discipleship. Now, one of the things that should be common with every one of us in this room is that when we gave our lives to Christ, we became his disciple. The word disciple speaks of teacher. We became his followers. So he said to Peter, James, and John, leave your nets, come follow me. That's what discipleship is. It is following Jesus. So what do we do? We come to church and we worship God. We get in Bible studies so we'll learn more about him. Why? Because we are a disciple. We want to follow discipleship. That's what someone who wants to learn about Jesus and be like Jesus does. And we do that many hours of our day. We oftentimes read the Bible, have devotions. We see things on TV. Why? We want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But guess what Jesus said if you want to be my disciple? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 10. He said, if anyone desires to be my disciple, he must take up his what? Cross and follow me. Whoa. You know what it says to you and me? All the worship, all the preaching, all the Bible study, all the service means nothing if we don't understand the doorway to it is the cross. What can happen to us is is our learning can be about pride and knowing. Our doing is to make us feel better, that that maybe we're not such as bad a person. Our coming to church makes us feel good, that we've come to church and done our duty. Our giving our offering says, yes, God, I'm going to give you some of my money because I want to please you. But discipleship begins with the cross. A disciple says, Lord... I sacrifice it all to you. I surrender it all. 
the beginning point of discipleship is for us to die to self as Jesus died and be willing for him to build up within our lives something different than ourselves, something very, very much like the Jesus that lives within our lives. And so today, are you a disciple? Do you desire today to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus said it will not happen without taking up the cross. Someone sees that around your neck. They should say, what does that mean? It means today that I've given my life to Jesus just like he gave his life to me. And every day of my life, I take up that cross and I follow him. So you see, this cross reminds me of my sin. It assures me of his love. It tells me what happened in my soul when I gave my life to Christ. It tells me when I walk out of this place, I may feel conviction about how I act, but I'm never condemned because in Christ, there's no condemnation. And every time I open this book to try and become his disciple, I begin by saying, Lord, I surrender myself to your word and to your will and to your lordship. And today, do in me what only you can do as I take up my cross and follow him. And so today and this Friday night, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when we do it, is it just a piece of bread and just some fruit of the vine that we drink? And remind us of something that happened 2,000 years ago in Golgotha? Or does it speak to us about all that God has done? All that God has done to bring us into a relationship with him and prepares us for that moment that we will celebrate this one who died is today alive because of Easter Sunday. Bow your head with me for a moment, would you? Would you just take a moment and uh, let the Lord speak to you about the cross, about the cross? Would you, would you just say, thank you, Lord, that you love me? And you have given yourself for me. Thank you, Lord. That my relationship with you today, God, is not based upon my righteousness, but yours. And that I can live this life as a disciple as I take up my cross and follow you. God, thank you today for the symbol of the cross, what it means to us, and how it's changed our lives. And we're going to do this now, Lord, of taking this Lord's Supper in remembrance of the one who's done that. In Jesus' name, amen.